Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. If you're anything like Sayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Aaron Palushai. And so he has a fantastic background. And so I'm really interested in getting and in deep diving into his background a little bit more with this episode, but a little bit about him. He's the founder of Palouche Properties and Palouche Capital, through which he develops and manages multifamily properties in the Metro Detroit area. He currently has $10 million in real estate development and is scheduled to close on another $30 million in 2022. And he's coming off a 12-year career as a professional hockey player, playing both internationally and domestically, and represented the U.S. in the 2013 World Championships in Stockholm, Sweden, where the U.S. won the bronze medal. And so I'm super excited to have you on the show today, Aaron. Thank you so much for joining me. Eileen, thank you very much for having me. Very excited to be on the show. So Aaron... Can you share with us, you know, as a professional hockey player traveling the world internationally, how did you end up with real estate? And can you give us a little bit of a background um, and insight into, you know, who you are? Yeah. So as you mentioned, hockey's taken me all quite literally all over the world. I was always intrigued uh, having to move every few months to new apartments, new states, new countries, and real estate, multifamily in particular, really intrigued me. I always loved the, uh, the architecture and the amenities in, in different places and how uh, seamless and easy certain places to rent were versus others. So I, I was always very interested in that. I didn't know that you could be involved in large multifamily investments. If you didn't have a huge, huge bank account, I learned that not to be true. But yeah, so that kind of transitioned um, me uh, into doing some other things in real estate the last couple of years, playing, building spec homes with my dad, developing some commercial properties, never really streamlined it um, as I was still playing. And he was in another field. He was in the restaurant industry. But now that my career has come to an end, we're, we're, um, doing this full time and we have some exciting projects in the pipeline. So talk, can you share with us a little bit? I want to take a little bit of time because I don't, we don't really get to meet like professional hockey players too often. <laughs> so I, I want to take the time a little bit to, you know, share your experiences a little bit as a hockey player and, you know, what has been like the most exciting thing about your career as you've been, you know, traveling all over the world, meeting so many different people, you know, winning the bronze medal. Like, can you share a little bit about that experiences? Yeah, the experience, just the people that you meet through hockey and, and really through anything you do, but especially traveling the world and meeting people from all realms of life and being able to represent the, my country, the United States and the world championships was an honor. Winning bronze is something that will, will forever, I'll cherish forever. The friendships that you gain through a, a sport it will remain forever uh, instilled in me. And it was an honor and I was very blessed to have 
played all over the world and on some amazing teams and have met some lifelong friends along the way. So you guys have traveled over so many different countries. So what was your most favorite place that you visited? And maybe, you know, what was the most unique experience that you had? Ooh, um, I <laughs> tough question, but probably the most unique experience was living in Russia. I was living in a town called Yekaterinburg. It's in the middle of Russia. Didn't have a car, so I walked to the rink. Very, very cold, right on the border of Siberia. So very cold, but a really unique experience. Very friendly people. The food was incredible. Um, I liked my time a lot in Russia. And you don't hear that too often just because there's so much that goes on in the media with Russia. But having that experience and having lived there was definitely a unique experience. I'm very blessed to have had a chance to do. So did you start getting into real estate while you were traveling abroad and you know still as a hockey player? Or did you travel back to the U.S. first and settle down before you got into real estate? Yeah. So our off season is anywhere from like three to five months long, depending on how well you do in the playoffs and how how far your team goes. So the last few years, I had been uh, developing some spec homes with my dad and also some commercial properties. So that was kind of between off season and I could still handle some stuff while uh, while I was playing abroad. The last six years was me playing abroad in um, Switzerland, Sweden, Russia, and Belarus. But my first six years in uh, pro hockey was in North America and in Canada and the U.S. So got my first taste of real estate early in my adult life in my early twenties. Just through my dad, he was able to. Um, provide some opportunities for me. But yeah, so being able to come home during the summertime was pretty crucial to help with the spec homes and some of the other commercial properties we developed before we got into the multifamily space. So from the development side of things through your experience, you know, what was the most difficult part of the whole development process? It was a long process from when we purchased the land on, on our first 12 unit development through actually getting the shovel in the ground. It was probably like a two year time frame. So not knowing um, too much about ground up multifamily development, it was zoned properly, which was huge. And I think we probably could have done it a little quicker if, if we wanted to, but um, wanted to take our time on our first one. Lessons learned, a big lesson learned on a ground up development for me and us was to make sure you have good financing on on like a construction loan. So I was toying with the idea of getting a construction loan without an end mortgage. And I'm really glad I didn't because the property was just about at completion when COVID hit and the subs had to stop working. It delayed the project. And if we were in a time crunch where we had to pay, you know, a lender back in, you know, six or eight months, we would have to find a way to finance the project when banks were, no one was really sure what was going to happen with COVID. So that was a, a learning lesson for sure that I'm glad we ended up um, putting an end mortgage on that construction loan. Can you share a little bit about, you know, for those who haven't really experienced it, what the end mortgage is, you know, what that process looks like? Yeah. So it's, um, it's a construction loan that takes, you know, it could be an 18 month construction loan or 24 month construction loan. And then it turns, once you get the uh, certificate of occupancy, it turns into an end mortgage, whether that's a five-year term or a seven-year term on a 25-year amortization, it just secures the financing once the building, the multifamily building is complete. And it just gives you that level of uh, security in case something does happen to the market or COVID happens where you're able to have that financing in place. And that was uh, really glad we were able to do that. And so then from there, after you did your ground, after you did the development project, what did you guys do afterward? 
So leased up and we were able to actually uh, refinance that with agency debt. And that's where I saw the power of multifamily development. It's like, okay, there's a lot of initial capital invested. 18 months, not a little over 18 months after um, we broke ground, I was able to refinance with long-term agency debt and recoup a lot of initial invested capital. And then I was like, wow, okay. You pair that with the cost segregation study and the bonus depreciation. And then you see how powerful just a small 12 unit development can be. So I could see, you know, a larger scale, how uh, that could be really advantageous. So then for the development, for the 12 units, did you guys hold it afterwards or did you guys sell it off or lease the units out? Yeah. So we currently own the 12 units. Our model is to develop and, and hold long-term. We're looking at this business as you know, 10, 20, 30 year business. And, and what we and I want to do is build an organization, not necessarily build and sell and build and sell. I want to build, of course, there's going to be some sales in the, in the business, but long-term we want to build an organization that's um, sustainable, that give, we're in a, we're in a really unique space where we have the ability to provide great returns to investors, provide a great place for residents to live, and also make an environmental um, impact with some of the technology we're using. With We're putting solar panels on a new six unit we're scheduled to have completed here in the next few months. On some of the larger ones, we're also implementing solar panels and charging stations. So it's really cool to be able to give back, provide great housing, have investors make really solid returns and then also have it be pretty, pretty great for the environment. So how did you guys, or I should, maybe I should have asked this in the beginning, but where was this development project? So this development project, the first one was um, about 20 minutes North of Ann Arbor. So the uh, Metro Detroit area, and I guess it would be kind of the greater, you know, Ann Arbor Metro more so than Detroit, but this was a small town um, called South Lyon, Michigan, growing town, great schools, you know, a lot of, uh, Awesome parks, um, bike trails, super close to Ann Arbor. I believe the average drive time in Michigan to commute to work is about 27 or 28 minutes. Um, so we we see a lot of interest and in, in people wanting to get out of uh, Ann Arbor and just be a little bit, you know, a little farther from the city. So uh, we're getting a lot of interest in, in people living in South Lyme. So as you guys were looking for the land to actually do this development project on, how did you determine where was a good place? And, you know, can you talk a little bit about how you guys found it and what made it a good venture for you guys? Yeah, sure. So we really like the area. I grew up in uh, Metro Detroit, so we know the area very well. The home prices continue to go up in value, the the schooling system. So what we look for in, in uh, developments and acquisitions, although we haven't acquired anything yet, but what we will look for is great schools, accessibility to outdoor activities, hiking trails, biking, golf, stuff that Michigan isn't known for, you know, the most outdoor uh, centric place in the country. But there is a lot of places in Michigan where there's, you know, hundreds of miles of biking trails. So we look for those when we're looking at markets in the Metro Detroit. South Line being in our backyard, we had a really good grasp on the market and the housing need for that area. So um, that made it a little bit easier for us. It wasn't kind of going in blind saying, oh, this area has good schools and they have some great amenities nearby and, and close to a major employer and a major university. So let's try to develop something here. Got it. And so... 
Why did you guys decide to focus on the sustainable communities and, you know, like putting things like solar panels up on your properties? What were those, you know, what was kind of like the the thought behind that? So the 12 unit, we didn't implement solar on that one. We do have smart home tech in the Ecobee thermostats. We're putting smart locks on that property as well. The six unit and also the 74 unit that we will do, will be developing, will have uh, solar. And from a financial standpoint, it's it's some upfront cost, but there's also some great benefits. There's a 26% federal tax credit that you get when you put solar panels on uh, commercial properties, which is, you know, it, it ends up helping a lot for, for cost. The uh, being able to give back to the to residents and and have a utility have one rental bill. So what we plan on doing with the six unit is have one bill and. You could kind of offset the cost of the solar panels by charging a little bit of a premium on rent. That way, the, the resident, and we like to call them neighbors just because we want to keep that family feel of, of our business. So our neighbors be able to charge their car um, because we're big believers of the electric vehicles in the future, be able to have one bill uh, instead of worrying about putting you know, electric in their name and then gas in their name. Uh, water. So just streamlining the whole rental scene into one uh, one bill and having, and also feeling good where you live. A lot of people do care about the environment. And I think with solar panels, so there's some some numbers I have actually on the six unit is 49,532 gallons of gas will be saved on putting solar panels just on six units. And there'll be in, in over a 10-year course, there'll be 7,336 7, treed seedlings grown. So it's it makes me feel good to be able to provide that in a uh, multifamily development. And also the, the residents really love it. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Wow. Yeah. When you say it like that, you know, for the six units and being able to save that much on it, that's, that's pretty impressive. You never really would expect that, right? But to be able to save that much, it's, um, yeah, it's incredible. I wouldn't have expected that. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Uh, some preliminary studies that uh, our, the company went out and and measured for the six units, they said it would, it would save somewhere around like $325 to $350 a month in the utility bill. So on six units, you know, it's a small project. You do 60 units or you do, you know, 360 units. That saves a lot of money. And, and if you can make the numbers work where obviously you have to provide decent returns to investors and you need to make the numbers work. But if you can, I think it's, it's something that more and more people um, will look into in the multifamily space. So for you guys, what's next? You guys have a ton of projects coming up in 2020. And what are you guys also looking to focus on? 
Our main focus is those three um, larger projects coming up and also building our property management team out. So like I said earlier, we're, it's a long-term business for us. We want to scale the right way, hire the right people, and and really put our residents and our neighbors first. Because I think, I don't know if I heard it on your podcast or another podcast, but someone used a, a quote that I actually used in my hockey career, and that's, uh, love the game and it will love you back. And when I heard that, someone said, love your love your properties and they will love you back. And you could say the same thing about loving your neighbors and they'll love you back. So as long as you're taking care of your properties, you're treating your residents like family, I think that's our main focus right now is, is scaling our business, but still keeping that family feel to it where residents, are we going to be able to know every single resident by their first name? Probably not, but still have that feel where they feel like they're really important and, and feel like family. Yeah, especially because they call those places home, right? So you want to create a community for them that, you know, they're, they feel like this is home. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's just not a door to them. It's not a unit. It is an apartment home. And that's exactly right. So Aaron, how has real estate investing impacted your life? So I, I think the relationships I've built in my short, very, very early on in my real estate investing career, the relationships I've built have been, have been great. Being able to give back to residents that love their home and also to the environment with implanting solar and stuff like this, I think um, has a great impact. It just makes me feel good that, you know, you're not only providing a good return to your investors and also making a good return for yourself, you're able to provide residents with a quality built home and have environmental stewardship in the, in the meantime. Yeah. And you can definitely see it's, it's hard to sometimes see the impact that you have on the communities and what you're doing. But in this aspect here, you're able to see the direct impact that you're having on the community, on your neighbors, and then also around your partners and the people that you're working with as well and your investors. Absolutely. It's pretty special. It, it makes it makes me feel really good. Um, obviously, you want to make a good return and make money in this business, but doing things the right way, I think, and maybe get there a little slower, but keeping the, the important things first, like the residents, like the environmental stewardship is, uh, I think, will set ourselves up for success, long-term success, not just short-term success. And if there was one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? Uh, oh, good question. S- I lived in some pretty cool apartment complexes when I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina in 2013. And I was like, wow, these are pretty awesome. I wish one day I could either develop, build, own, manage one of these. And uh, truthfully, I could have been a part, you know, a small, small, small owner in some of those developments um, and investments. And I did not know that. Um, and I think that's the whole syndication model is you can invest in a larger multifamily, a two, 300 unit property and still feel like part of the, you know, ownership group where, you know, you are a small percentage of the ownership group, but it's pretty cool to be able to do that. And it's also pretty powerful with the returns you can make. And what is one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? Very cliche, but just taking action. There's just so much great content out there uh, through podcasts, YouTube, conferences, taking action and network. Network as much as you can. Don't get discouraged. Call if five, 10 lenders don't don't have an answer for you. Call the 11th and 12th one. Maybe someone will. So I think just being proactive and sticking to it is definitely something, advice um, I would give to my younger self. And so for you also, you know, is there any resource that you've utilized that have been really instrumental in helping you with your education and your real estate journey so far? 
Very early on in the journey, but yeah, podcasts for sure. Your podcast, there's several others. Darren Batchelder's is great. Rod Khalif's, Joe Fairless. There's just an abundance of education out there, but I would say podcasts. Books have been good. I, I just, I could work out and listen to podcasts. I could drive and listen to podcasts. So I think it's a little easier to, to listen to podcasts. I've been to uh, a, a couple of conferences. So I would say podcasts would be probably the number one educational tool I use. And so I have another question for you and I'd love Uh to ask, you know, (laughs) just how as a hockey player, professional hockey player, how did the skills and what you've learned as a professional hockey player being on, you know, a national or like a, an international team who's won like bronze medals and all that and through coaches and personal development and just training for so many years and practicing, practicing, how does that correlate to real estate investing? And how have you been able to, you know, take those skills and translate it to real estate? I think there's a lot there. I'll touch on a couple points. One is like, is teamwork. So um, my dad is a general contractor. We, you know, there's roles in, in our business um, and the teamwork you have to have, you know, certain players on each team, not all of them are goal scorers. Some of them are a little more defensive. Some, so the roles um, I think is is a big part. Another thing I think is also just like the, it didn't happen overnight. Becoming a, a, a hockey player and, and at a level, at a professional level took years and years and years of hard work. Um, a lot of setbacks, a lot of injuries, a lot of, a lot of things that could have forced myself or others that do uh, to just give up on it. And I think that's something that I want, I want to carry um, this real estate journey of mine is like, there's definitely going to be setbacks in, in the industry and the business where you can't expect everything to happen overnight and be an overnight success. So if you have that mindset that I learned from, you know, my pro career and carry that over into this space, I think I'll be better off with, with that mindset, as opposed to thinking things are going to happen and, and want things to happen really quick. Yeah, no, definitely. Thank you so much for sharing that, that perseverance and the, you know, the journey that gets you to where you are today. It's not an overnight success. It takes some time. It takes a lot of practice, years and years of practice to get to where you, to the level that you want to be at. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing that, Erin. Eileen, thank you very much. Very blessed to be on the show. Um, I really appreciate you having me. So Erin, if our listeners wanted to find out more about what you're doing in this space, where's the best place that they can go to find out more and to reach you? So um, Instagram at a palouche, P-A-L-O-O-S-H is my Instagram handle. Aaron at paloushcapital.com is my email. Feel free to email me, send me a direct message. We're working on our website and, and that will have some educational content on there as well. Um, I've learned so much in this uh, early on in my career that I would love to give back and, and provide some content for people that are just starting or that have been doing it for a while. So we'll be getting the website up early 2022, uh, but Instagram, LinkedIn, or email are probably the best ways to get all of me right now. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Aaron. Thank you, Eileen. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifacecapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.